You're watching Deprogrammed. This is the new Culture Forum show devoted to pushing back against the forces of ideological conformity, particularly among the young. My name's Harrison Pitt. I'm a senior editor at the European Conservative, and I'm thrilled to be joined today, as ever, by Evan Riggs, who is a freelance journalist, and our special guest this week, Ed West, the writer, author, and the man behind the wrong side of history, Substack. Now, Ed, uh, I, thank you for coming on. Um, it's a pleasure. I recall you once write, uh, writing that if someone went into a coma in 2019 and woke up today, they'd find it difficult to believe that conservatives had been governing the country in the intervening period. Do they deserve a chance to redeem themselves? No, obviously not. I think I, I said that about 2010, maybe. I mean, they have been <laughs> 14 years now. Prescient. No, I think it's, it's obviously, I don't want to get too Peter Hitchens doomish about this, but I think it's safe to say they've had their chances um, to, to show how they rule, and it's probably a bit too late now. Um, but yes, I mean, every, every, you know, they've been in power. They've been in office for 14 years, mm. but it could be argued that they haven't been in power and, and just look around you and see how little impact they've actually had in getting, you know, their, their ideas pushed forward. And, um, you know, it's been 14 lost years, really. There are, so, there are so many dimensions to the portrayal. What is the most salient aspect for you? I mean, the obvious one stands out as immigration, obviously. Um, you know, the Brexit referendum, whether it was right or wrong, and we can go on this forever, but is, you know, immigration was a huge factor. If you look at those word clouds, why people voted, it was mm. overwhelmingly the big, um, the big deal. And I think for a lot of people, they saw it as that really their only chance to vote against something which had been happening against their will and without any kind of democratic mandate and uh, lots of millions of people came out to sort of make that protest and the, the government uh, went and did the exact opposite. Mm. Um, and I can understand why, why they did that. There are obviously lots of economic problems, lots of uh, demographic problems um, to, to do with an aging society and immigration prevents, you know, presents a kind of quick fix. Mm. But I think from a, you know, in terms of doing what your voters want you to do is completely opposite. The, 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 the other thing which was particularly infuriating about that period in history as well is that all of the people who ended up leaving the, leading the Leave campaign were themselves sort of like piratical, like free marketeer, free trade, neoliberal types who, yeah. who, who, who saw Brexit as a, as, as a way of correcting a constitutional, um, what would be the word, constitutional accident that had been in place since the European Communities Act in 1972. But it was all about taking back control. But there wasn't, in their minds at least, there was a, there was a, there was a difference between what they thought Brexit was and what the Brexit and what the Brexit voters themselves thought it was. Do you think yeah. that it, do you think that the, the Tory base has caught up with the fact yet that people like Liz Truss, people like Jacob Rees-Mogg, even people like um, Boris Johnson, they may have been constitutionally pro-Brexit pro -Brexit as a constitutional matter, but they didn't really want to do anything very conservative with those new powers. Yes, I think um, if you look at how immigration is a salient uh, as an issue and how it tracks immigration numbers, there is quite a strong correlation. I didn't really buy the argument that it is generally cooked up by the papers. And I mean, the papers aren't as strong as they used to be anyway. Mm. But um, I think for a while after Brexit happens, and particularly because of lockdown, there was a sort of pause, a lot of people weren't really aware that immigration was actually going the other way. And, mm. and once it happened, and once people became aware of that, there is... Um, there was a sort of huge sense of disappointment and, and then that's when the, I mean, I, I think there are lots of things that caused their polling to go down. Um, the kind of, sort of drama and so the saga around the, the Boris drama and the West parties Kansas thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the parties things are a load of BS, but um, I can see BS, right? Really. Yeah, yeah, of course you get well. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think immigration is, is overwhelmingly the big one. You know, I, it's been said, but, you know, 
but Tory voters don't particularly like the Tory party. They're not tribally mm. members of their party in the same way Labour voters kind of do tend to like mm. love their party. Mm. But Tory voters want the Tories just to do three things: reduce immigration, lock up loads of criminals, and reduce their taxes. And they failed in all three of those things. Yeah. So you can, if you can't even do your kind of basic things, then I don't think there's like a huge love for Tory. I mean, a lot of Tory voters actually kind of dislike the party mm. and party leaders. And if they can't do their actual, you know, the jobs we ask them to do, then you know, and also there's, there's no fear like, oh, what, what if Keir Starmer gets in? It's like, mm, what's going to yeah. be? It's the same, it's yeah. the same, but slightly worse. It's Coke, Coke strong or Coke light? Which one do you want? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not like 2019 where like Jeremy Corbyn was slightly worrying because he did seem a bit, a bit, a bit extreme. Let's <laughs> put it mildly. So I want to ask you, speaking of uh, Liz Truss and Jacob Rees-Mogg, what did you make of the recent uh, PopCon right. launch across the street? Uh, I mean, I'm obviously. I'm more sort of sympathetic to the kind of national conservative wing mm. of this, like various different squabbling groups within the party. I, I mean, I obviously wouldn't have Liz Trust as my spokesman, spokeswoman for any group. <laughs> I just think, I don't know if she's aware of it or a sportsman, but she's a bit of a punchline. A lot of it's unfair. She's, I, I, she's probably blamed too much for the sort of economic mistakes, which seem to be happening in a lot of other countries. But, you know, she, she, she was like 44 days and that was like half of it was people just in mourning for the Queen. It was, you know, it was I wouldn't have her as the as a leader. I mean, as regards to Jacob Rees-Mogg, my impression is that he's not actually as as conservative as he kind of, as he's made out, especially mm. on, you know, issues like immigration. Um, and it's a bit of an act. And I think there is a feeling in a lot of people that it's all, amongst all of them, it's a bit of an act. I mean, the, the, the problem with the Tory party now is that you know, there's been this realignment in, in politics and, and um, the old alliance that held the party together is not really, doesn't exist anymore. It's not electorally, um, doesn't have enough to, to win elections anymore because that alliance between liberals and conservatives, which was fine because, you know, you can balance each other out. The, the groups are now so ideologically divided on many things. I mean, I'm not like against um, what Liz Truss stands for. I, I mean, I'm not particularly... Like, I'm not anti particularly anti-free market. I don't think that's particularly mm. the problem. I, I, there are some areas where it's gone wrong, but, um, you know, I, I do think she is, she tends, she is a kind of ideological liberal, which once upon a time might have fitted into the party, but now it sits very uneasy with the other wings of the party. I forget who it was. It was some MP who described himself a few months back as a member of the Tory party and said, I'm really like a free market liberal. And that right. does seem to be actually, to me, like the, the, the core of, of the Tories. I mean, that was fine once, because that, there is that place within, within the party. Um, but free market liberalism now comes with so many, you know, liberalism is kind of, has become like in nature, you know, it's like runaway liberalism. Mm -hmm. it's, become, uh, it's become so extreme in some, in some of its views. I mean, I say liberalism, it's not really liberal because it's actually quite authoritarian in some ways. But I would say, you know, the, the sort of centre left, the views, um, within that thing, especially on stuff like immigration, they're just not really compatible with with the conservative, with the conservative movement, mm. with conservatism, an idea, or even like a winning coalition of conservatives. Why do you think the Tory Party can't seem to get it through their head that in this case it's actually not the economy, stupid, that will get them the votes? Like, I mean, I would yeah. think that at least like their self-interest, they would be, they would have some members who are cunning enough to basically mm. say some things that maybe they don't even believe, which I know is like a radical idea for a politician. But to, to try to win, you know, I mean, the, the, the vote winning statement should be obvious because everybody outside of the party is repeating it over and over and over again. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I, the, I think part of the problem is that we have a government which is sort of full of like column, 
columnists, right? people who like to sort of often do write in Telegraph the Times sometimes about what we need is, and it would just be easy if they just kind of did it <laughs> and like not mention <laughs> I it. I mean, I think like Mayism was the worst combination as that there were lots of sort of quite vi kind of nationalist vibes, sometimes quite unpleasant, like the go home vans. I just don't, we don't need to be unpleasant to yep. foreign nationals here, just quietly make the make the law effective. Well, it means you get it means you get the worst of both worlds right, because, exactly. you, because you're throwing red meat to the base um, and you're and you're sort of and you're and right. you're, you're making you're, you're firing them up you're making them and you're also annoying all the all of the right people. Yeah, which but is you're, good be, for them which like, is which is good. individuals politicians but Certainly. it's just ineffective like, but, but it doesn't just it, it means you get all it means you get all of the ire of James O'Brien right. without actually doing anything actual which mm. should upset James O'Brien. Yeah, exactly. You should just sort of do it and not make a a big fuss of it. Um, you know, in terms of, okay, like there's the, the boats issue. Now, obviously something, I think eventually if we have to, you know, leave convention human rights, if that's the only thing that's going to stop us, because every European country seems to have this problem. But this is like an existential issue. If you cannot man the borders, if mm. people are allowed to just walk in here or, actually, you know, swim over here, whatever, um, go by boats, then you don't have a country. That's the basic function of the state, you know, mm. there's stuff like criminal justice as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't, it's, this is not like the Bronx in the 70s. Crime is actually pretty stable because, partly because we have a surveillance state and we have a very old population, but for a, a country with a surveillance state, we have pretty high crime, <laughs> there's lots of stuff. You know, criminals, you know, my, my thing on Twitter is I have this thread of regular incidents where people commit incredibly violent acts, repeatedly commit crime, often commit dozens of crimes before they go to jail. And this is something that the, you know, the authorities could deal with. And it's not impossible. It's not like, it's not even hard in the same way like climate change is a really hard issue to deal with. It's something that the basic state should be able to yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, if they can figure it out in El Salvador, they should be able to figure it out here. Right, I mean, <laughs> you know, it seems, you know, you, I mean, the trade-off between human rights and, and security is obviously is an issue that is has grappled kind of you know democratic politicians since the beginning. But uh, you know there are lots of ways where you know people could this is like communities could be made safer. And um, you know I, I, what I aspire to is a high trust society. It's a society where you can expect. It, but this comes into like function things. You know like you can you should be able to expect the trains to work because if you don't like mm. everything around using convenience, you should be able to expect to leave your bike you know, and not expect it to be stolen. There are sort of basic things which make society so much more smooth functioning. Mm. And I think, um, I, I just think for a mixture of ideological reasons, and some of it just seems to be like competency. I understand they're facing, you know, the civil service is often very hostile and, the, you know, within the home office, let alone the foreign office, there are lots of people who are ideologically opposed to the Tory party and it's hard for them to take them on. And it requires a lot of people, it requires a sort of level of disagreeability that mm. I can my, myself do. I wouldn't want to be that person. But you do want someone who doesn't mind being hated a bit. Now, and Boris Johnson's main problem is that he was, like a lot of journalists, he liked being applauded. He wanted people to like yeah, him. Yeah. And that's why he was great at being mayor, which is kind of a ceremonial job. But as prime minister, he, he wasn't able to make those kind of tough decisions, mm. which which are kind of required. And I think in order to be a, a truly seismic prime minister as well, the real measure of that isn't just what you do while in office, but whether you, to some extent, just by changing the landscape, bind your bind, bind your successors right, okay. and so... I mean, the obvious example is Thatcher, right? Thatcher so, I mean, completely yeah. bound Blair, and, yeah. and in the same way, the, the, the Tories have been completely bound by Blair. They ha rather, yeah. rather than breaking out of that mm. bracket. Completely they, passive they, the whole time. They, they, they feel yeah. like they need to win within the Blairite paradigm, so they yeah. work within it and they don't actually challenge it. And, that, that, and you're right, it, 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 it requires a level of 
disagreeableness that doesn't come naturally to instinctive conservatives. Yeah. And I think on, on the sort of free market side, you know, okay, so, you know, it's just the time of year where freelancers do their taxes, so I'm probably... <laughs> but, you know, there, there is taxes still high. Um, there's loads of regulation yeah. in every area of life, and which just... I mean, the one that muted this week, I don't know whether it happened, you know, about further regulations about Airbnb things, this, which comes down to the regulations stopping house building. Mm. You know, like, the worse housing gets because you have more regulation, the more they want to regulate people having second homes. It's like, well, yeah. this is just not, this is not the way to a kind of happy society. I think there are lots of areas where if you did give people greater freedom, and that's where I come more trust. Like, although, I, you know, I always did think Liz Truss was a kind of, a liberal democrat kind well, of operative yeah, working she, like i mean she is she was she was there are clips of her in the 90s sort of right. railing against the monarchy and, and go deep, sort of, deep undercover but destroy the tory yeah. party and then you know <laughs> it sort of often seems that way and the, the thing as well that they don't understand even if she has had a, a kind of damascene conversion to conservatism the people, the economic liberals, the free marketeers, they don't realize that the culture itself should be always be prior to its prosperity. Right. Like, like, it, like it's, it's important that, um, it's, it's potentially a slightly pompous point, but it's one I've made in, in writing. No, no problem being pompous. No, no problem at all. It's one I've made <laughs> in, in, in writing before is that the conservatives need to recover the original meaning of the word economy. Like you need to have a home, oikos, right. before you can discuss the rules, nomos, best suited for its material fl right. flourishing. And they put their, their kind of obsession with the economic theory before the, is the country actually doing well? I would vote for Michael Foote if he overridden his trust if he promised to shut the borders. Because it matters, <laughs> it, 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 has, it has much more implications for our future as a country than whether or not GDP is ticking along at 3% or, in, de or in, in decline for two quarters. I'm not sure I'd go quite as far as voting Michael Foote, but it's, it's an interesting uh, <laughs> proposition. Harrison, are you saying that you'd be okay with some socialism as long as it was tempered by nationalism? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Those right. kind of two mixed together. I see what you're doing there. Aaron. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, wouldn't quite go that far. But no, Michael. It's funny, Michael Foote was actually. I. I. Uh, Michael Foote was um, very opposed to um, to uh, restrictionism at the border, as it happens. But it, it just goes to show the order of priorities is completely wrong in the Conservative Party. That they're constantly putting, you know, do, is the line going up or is the line going down? Before is the country better? Right. Is, is I think a lot of you know it, economic liberalism, which I sort of broadly support, is dependent on a lot of social conditions, things like trust and having social yeah. solidarity which itself depends on sort of conservative mm -hmm. social cultural norms. And, and once you lose those, it becomes much mm. harder to have that yeah. kind of um, that situation. Try, try cutting capital gains tax in Liberia and see how far it gets. Well, exactly. Yeah, and it seems very interesting to me that this lesson still hasn't been learned despite, you know, 20 years of trying to, or more, of trying to export liberalism to places like Liberia, the Middle East, and it's just not taking. Right. And now it seems like liberalism is massively in retreat. So one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, Ed, is, um, you know, kind of, what do you see as the, the, the emergent response to the, the Tory party and to maybe even better way to frame it would be, like, how would you define, like, the new right that's starting to emerge in this country in this sort of emerging post-liberal or receding liberal order? Um, I imagine, when I look at the, the kind of more intelligent, younger people coming through on the right, um, on certain issues, they are a lot more right-wing mm. than the older generation. Which ones? On the people? Mm. No, no, which, 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 issues? Issues? which issues, yeah. I mean, primarily immigration. Uh, and I think that that kind of tends to absorb all other issues because it is such an existential question. Um, and it's, 
you know, Stephen Davis, you know, the Cato Institute, he, did this, he explained about alignments in politics and there's always one primary issue and one secondary issue. And that's why groups align. So from the Second World War onwards, it became about economics. And so there was a kind of economic rights, um, which was the Conservative Party. And that was able to win. And as that shifted, because of cultural changes and because of immigration, um, the national question becomes the issue, which mm. is you know diversity, multiculturalism, immigration now, and the response to Islam. Mm. Um, and so the right, from now on, whether we like or not, is going to be that, while the left is going to be kind of globalism, whatever you call it. And yeah. they're both of them are kind of uneven things. But amongst the younger generation, there is a strong. I think there's a strong sense of being dispossessed of losing their posterity, mm. uh, and this is definitely. Uh, I would say this is this is amongst like the vanguard, like a small group of quite very well informed, uh, bright people. For them, the housing issue, in particular, the fact that London is um, mm. is completely impossible to live in anymore. Mm. You know, it's that Machiavelli statement about you you forget about your father, but you won't forget about your posterity. I'm completely mangling mm. the phrase, but you know what I mean. Uh, Sounds better in Italian. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, um, and this sense of their posterity has been robbed from them. Um, so I think that that is the the kind of drift of the of the right in the future. Mm. It will be more. It will be sort of more like European populism in that sense. Mm -hmm. I think. Mm. Yeah, so two things on that. Um, because you mentioned Machiavelli, and I agree that it's like a small vanguard of these people, but these yeah. are the, the highly motivated and highly intelligent folks who are determined to make a change, who are, let's yeah. say they're now roughly in their 20s. What force do you think that will have over British politics over the next 10 to 20 years? I know predictions are pretty tough, but if this is the vanguard, uh, what direction do you think they'll push things in? And then do you think it will be like Gert Wilders, who I was just reading Slavo Žižek's first substack, uh, where he he's talks, yeah, he just joined, and wow. um, he talks about he talks about Wilders, and he's like, Wilders is mixing um, like heavy immigration restrictionism with like an appeal to liberal values. So it's like we need to close the borders to, you know, preserve okay, our right, so, exactly. Yeah. He wants uh, a, a national animal NHS. A what? Like an NHS, but for animals. Ah. I mean, that would be amazing in Britain. It would like be an absolute vote winner. Appealing to, teen <laughs> to teenage girls as well. Yeah. Like, like your puppy will be looked after by NHS. <laughs> I mean, you know, it would wait nine months. But, hmm. <laughs> but do, do you think that this, this conservative vanguard will basically adopt this, this Wilders-esque approach? Or do you think that there will be like, a, like trad casts or whatever? And I don't think it'll be tr it won't be traditional religious conservatism just because... You know, the religious, I think the kind of reformation we've had, whatever, the religious change is so big and it's so permanent that kind of traditional like Christian values as a political movement is not coming back. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of people will probably appreciate that those kind of folk beliefs, those uh, church teachings or that combination of values was really, like very sensible. That makes sense. I mean, like Louise Perry is a great example. That's someone who, who sort of looks at what you know what we all taught by our grandparents and that kind of that's that's good wisdom but I, the actual religious belief behind it is not coming back and i don't think there's going to be like a, a religious political movement of any way i mean like for example abortion is, is the big issue which mm. is like very religious dominated that's not going to be an issue and i don't even think it's in the states it's it's winning ultimately long term yeah. right so it's like a vote vote loser um i think on you know, there are the, the kind of the cultural revolution that happens and, you know, conservatives accept some elements 
like when when France, when the revolution ended, and when you know everything was kind of restored, not just you know after the reaction to to the revolution, but after Waterloo. Obviously, there were lots of aspects of the changes that were permanent, and conservatives are fine with that because they accept you know certain things good. Um, to stuff like gay rights is is obviously like the most like central issue of that there's mm. there's no religious reaction mm. to that coming. I think on the transgender issue that that's kind of shifting a lot because I think that's kind of fundamentally very different um, to the gay rights issue. The a lot of these things would probably be framed about in reaction to how um, the world of Islam and Islamic extremists sort of treats it because that is the kind of like that is the kind of big violent issue to do with diversity. We like for Aussie builders. That's what's kind of got him, you know. Do you think lately. it's interesting that like the, the Islam question, it was big in, you know, post 9-11, obviously, yeah. and then into kind of, let's call it the early 2010s. Yeah, yeah. And the, then it, it does seem like it kind of, yeah, it yeah. went away. Yeah. And now, now it's back with a force. I mean, do you think that, you I know, Britain or the West There was even of, white Sharia. There was, you know, yeah. like online yeah. writers saying, actually, Islam's pretty good. I like them. Yeah, it's, it's turned now since October 7th. But do you, why do you think that people took their eye off the ball so much. I mean, we became focused on like race and stuff, BLM, race uh, and gender yeah, and all think, this stuff, think, which think, is intra-Western, and people forgot their right. race. Well, I, think, I think that is the explanation. I think I think the 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 what identity politics meant, the salience that it had in people's minds, broadened. So it, it, it's not that you're right. There was a, there was a difference of emphasis in that it, it, there was much more focus on. Um, like the, the the deleterious consequences of fetishizing minorities generally, rather than is fetishizing Islam and being Islamophili right. Islamophiliac in mm -hmm. particular. But now, obviously, as you said, then after seventh of October, there's been a, 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 just a refocus saw, of emphasis on Islam. I just saw that Switzerland now has a anti-immigration political party. Which, if anybody knows anything about mm. Switzerland's immigration policies, it's yes. not the easiest country to you get into. You mean se separate to the? Yeah, like, like so even more, even more, and I, I right. think that is basically there will now be a, essentially an anti-Islamic immigration party in every single European country that will be a force to contend with. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's obviously there's a difference in Britain. I mean, Europe and the States here, um, and partly in the 2010s, we seem to be much more focused on, on American issues, which tends to be focused more on like race and the kind of BLM issue and. Um, while you know, America's Muslim minority is much smaller, proportionally, much more middle class, it is, they don't have the same issues that France in particular, mm. Sweden, Holland have. And they're overwhelmed, as I understand it, the largest Muslim community, like in, in diaspora terms in the, in the United States, is I believe Dearborn, the, Michigan. The, the Iranians. The Iranians, like, are, right, it could be. Yeah. And, and they tend to be, have no truck with Islamism. Yeah, I mean, they've left an Islamic state. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, yeah, and I mean, America's uh, is immigration policy from the Middle East and South Asia has been kind of stricter. Mm -hmm. kind of, um, yes. I would say more sensible than Europe. <laughs> I, the European issue is, is kind of different because um, more so in the continent, you have what is basically a kind of North African, Middle mm. East, and almost like an underclass. And in, in France, that's particularly like um, made worse by the kind of historical conflict with Algeria. Mm -hmm. I just think it was kind of dying down. A lot of the trends mm. were were quite optimistic in the sense that, I mean, if it's optimistic, but there was, um, there was a sense that religion was becoming less important towards second or third generation Muslims in Europe. And even they were becoming as maybe as decadent as we were, but mm, yeah. the trends are so, there, there is some evidence that it's happened, but the trends are so slow compared to the actual pace of demographic change that there's no way they're gonna keep up. So I, I guess that 
that issue was just basically lying dormant until something terrible happened. And like in the Middle East, there's always something terrible around the corner. And now, obviously, it's, you know, it's the political shift on the continent has been very, very noticeable since October 7th, not just mm-hmm. Netherlands, but Germany and France. Uh, mm. You know, Britain and Ireland are basically the kind of the exceptions here. And I, I don't think that will remain the case forever. I think in Britain there'll be something, some political party will, will, will take that sort of same place and like very damage the Conservatives. I do think in many ways it's not the worst thing in the world that the focus on identity politics isn't just so focused on Islam anymore because it goes back to what you were saying about how, and this is something Kaufman's written about as well, particularly in White Shift, he talks about how lots of um, parties on the continent, particularly in the Netherlands and Northern Europe and Western Europe, Western Europe had, had they, they felt themselves instinctively to be liberals. They, they, they didn't want it to kind of bring back the Holy Roman Empire or anything str- yeah. strange like that. They were in favour of gay marriage and right, all, all okay. this sort of thing. So they felt as though Islam was a politically correct, strange as that may sound, a politically correct target because you can couch your opposition to Muslim immigration yeah, in yeah. liberal terms. Mm. I think, don't think it's the worst thing in the world that we don't have to, to do that anymore because I don't think it is just a values question. I think it's a question of identity as well as beliefs and atti- right. attitudes which people have. It, like, it, you, you, you could be, um, it, it's, it, for me, just be, it, it wouldn't actually necessarily be a sign of encouragement if Muslim immigrants into Britain, say, are losing their faith from the third, fourth generation, because it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to feel an, a, a very strong, fervent attachment to that yeah. as a matter of identity, if not as a matter of confession. And that is going to cause conflict in politics. And we see this quite a, quite a lot, don't we? We see, you know, you know um, sort of... Uh, sort of uh, Ethno-religious tension, where the the ideas themselves aren't really that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Northern Ireland it was very yeah. li- little actual exactly. religious belief there. I mean, they weren't fighting the, over transubstantiation, yeah, exactly. were they? So, I mean, Eric's book's really interesting about that because he looks at data of stuff, for example, where where younger Muslims are actually disconnected from their family traditions and yeah. from um, their the old country. They're actually more prone to fall in things like Islamic fundamentalism. Exactly. I mean, they're, they were more likely to be involved in things like riots and and so you can lose touch with the old kind of culture. Mm-hmm. And actually, that could be a bad thing and for it, the, the country. even Because it leads to a crisis of identity. It must, yeah, be, it must be incredibly difficult to be living in a, it's, you in, know, it's in the a country kind of, where you feel... I mean, this has been the, this has been the story of like countless novels and, and, and films. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, they've been caught between um, different cultures. But you know, I, did, I think I wrote this in my book, Immigration, years ago. It's like, you know, if, you're a, if you're a very intelligent and thoughtful novelist, you can produce great works this, but like most people aren't. Yeah. And it just produces a kind of like psychological <laughs> I, crisis in which people indeed. You know, look for something bigger themselves. Yeah, you're not um, everyone's going to be Saul Bellow. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so like, it would be a great, <laughs> lovely world if we were, but yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's kind of dangerous on a, on a society by a wide scale. And mm. I think since October 7th, I mean, I've definitely noticed it in my own, kind of my own part mm. of London, there is definitely a, a kind of rising tension, especially uh, amongst anything which is like a, a Jewish in any way. There's yes. definitely yeah. a feeling that this is really unusual. And it's, it's doubly bad as well, because so often these young people, these second or third generation immigrants, they will feel that incredibly strong emotional pull of their ancestral tribal identity, but they won't actually necessarily have ever lived there. Yeah. So they won't quite understand why their grandparents or their parents or whoever it was left. Right. So they don't have that sort of, mm. they don't have that kind of realism in their approach either. It's purely romantic. Yeah. And that can be, um, it's usually when you go and then rejoin ISIS and then three days later find out just how bad a mistake you've made. Right. Yeah. 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 So, oh, this is awful. You, you, you've fantasized about it and then you show up yeah. in the desert and you're like... Oh. I mean, I think everyone's prone to that, isn't it? I mean, like, conservatives have their kind of wishful... About the past, yes. 
Yeah, about the past, and even with you know looking to foreign countries, you know, like the extreme case of Russia is kind of this traditionalist, mm. this kind mm. of fake traditional thing. And obviously, like a fantasy is never going to be the same as. Mm. I mean, the most likely is the society we live in is probably as best as it's going to get. Mm. Uh, like, I think it could be approved, but that's actually a good but, point. What, what do you make of uh, Tucker and mm. Putin and Russia? It's, it's so weird to me. I was talking with. Um, Melissa Chen about this, which is like, it's so weird to me that like American conservatives especially are like fetishizing like Putin and, and yeah, Russia, even because like, oh, there's like chandeliers in the subway or whatever. But it's like, you can literally make this point about living in a safe city or like having a shopping cart that you can put a pound coin in and pull yeah. out um, about like Madrid or like but, Edinburgh. Yeah. Like you don't yeah, need yeah, to go all the way to Moscow. Yeah, it's a very strange. Um, I'm actually writing about this right now. Hopefully it will be out. This week, um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's very unfortunate timing for that, <laughs> that he happens to go there, and then Putin decides to murder one of his sabotage or whatever. Maybe he didn't murder him. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he murdered him. Um, I find that very a very strange phenomenon. I mean, I think American conservatives maybe uh, it's a long way away, so they don't really understand what the fight is about. Some mm. of them, but even in the polling shows that Republicans are quite hostile to Russia as well. It is a kind of a kind of smallish media set who, who somehow think like Russia represents kind of like traditional Western values. I mean, if you look at data, it's just not true. It's really, mm. it's got very high divorce rates, got very high abortion rates. Mm. It, it's not like um, this kind of traditional dream that people imagine. I mean, the closest thing to that is Poland. And even in Poland, the religion is, is in sharp retreat. Mm. So I, I, I mean, I think part of it is people become so kind of like, I guess, twisted by like dislike of the opponents. Yeah, well, it's, 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 like, uh, Tucker. Well, I mean, during the summer of Floyd, Tucker was great. I mean, I have to say, I was. I know a lot of people watching because you know everyone else seems to be totally insane. So. Tucker's very interesting because he'll have like Vladimir Putin on, and also like a crackhead who says that he like blew Obama, and he really just runs like the full <laughs> yeah, yeah. spectrum of like right wing yeah. insanity. Yeah, I wonder but, just like how many like we run out of people to interview. I don't know. I mean, mm. that that was a particularly strange one. Did you not find the Putin interview interesting? I have to admit, I haven't watched the whole thing okay. yet because I have to fast forward. He goes yeah. through like, oh, and then Miroslav the brutal <laughs> killed. Like, like, yeah, yeah, sort of right. 45 minutes in, you're still in 980. Uh, yeah. Oh, gosh. And I don't think it was, he didn't, I mean, didn't do a bad interview. I, I mean, I, I think. I found it very interesting. I, I mean, like, he just said, like, how is that relevant to, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. which is fair enough question. I, I don't think he should have done the interview from a, an ethics point of view. I like, I'm not huge. Really? I just think so many people. In so many Western journalists have requested interviews of Putin who have been much more hostile to him. And Tucker's stance on the Ukraine, you know, he's probably the most high-profile high sure. um, dove on this issue. But how valuable really is it to have someone who we know hates Putin? Hates, I mean, from my point of view, yeah. I, I, I feel as though it's fundamentally a question about how much do we know, how much knowledge do we have? We, we already know a great deal about Putin's sins. We know, right. we know a great deal about you know, what's going on in Ukraine, all the rest of it. How useful would it actually have been in terms of informing people to have Tucker just sort of grandstand against him and talk about this episode, this episode? That, I find it interesting. Get it, uh, the, no, I didn't the mind way. the actual interview. Like, uh, what I've seen in the interview, oh. it seemed fine. It's just the fact of doing the interview will give, I imagine, Putin like, quite a good propaganda coup at home because he can mm. say, look, I'm, I'm being interviewed by this really, you know, this big American journalist, and so I'm not this kind of freak outsider hated by the world, which mm. we want the Russians to think he is. Mm. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think I'm, I, don't I, I don't know what we do in Russia. So, I mean, it's mm. it's like an absolutely awful, awful situation. Um, and I don't know what the best thing is to do, whether to increase military help or try to get some peace. But I mean, both 
seen terrible outcomes, but I, I do find it. You know, they are a fringe, but the, the, the right wing is who think Russia is some sort of like super base place. I just yeah, seem yeah, no, it's just I, not backed I, I up by any I don't think that at all. I, think, yeah. I, I, particularly, and the, I mean, Ukraine is uh, like by any objective metric, like whatever we talk, we say about corruption and all this sort yeah. of thing. There's, that, there's lots of that. But Ukraine, I think there was a very good essay written by, I can't actually remember her name, but she wrote a good essay in, in our ma magazine, The European Conservative, talking about how on every single possible based metric you might want to wheel out, Ukraine is actually probably more based right. in terms mm -hmm. of its values, in terms yeah. of abortion rates and all these sorts You're of things right. that conservatives care about than Russia is, religiosity, all that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, there is this weird kind of, um, there is this strange, this peculiar romanticization of Russia, which you do encounter on some corners of the right. Although, I, I, but I must say, I, I haven't particularly seen that in Tucker Carlson too much. Like he, 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 his whole shtick is, well, I'm just here, you know, ask, yeah. asking questions. Um, I don't, do you, but do you see more romance in his approach to Russia? He went around, he was amazed by the shopping trolley, wasn't he? Yeah, like the little, the, <laughs> I thought the interview was fine, but I thought the, the, the videos that he made yeah, after Yeah, that, that was actually like, worse, kind of. Yeah, the, the, that what, was probably a bad move. What, what, I agree, as you say, there are somewhere. places where you go, I mean, even compared to London, like London's obviously a lot safer than any big American city, but if you go to places, I mean, this is probably me, but you can go to Poland or Hungary, for example, mm. and there's the centre of both like Budapest and Warsaw are obviously much safer than London and Paris. And then if you look at the data on crime, they are much safer. Yeah, and then if you can go to like Tokyo, well, Tokyo is obviously a different culture. Like it's so safe, there, it can be done. And like a lot of, we have sort of homeless encampments you know, around the corner from where we are here. Mm -hmm. If you go outside the home office, you see people shooting up. And I've seen that mm -hmm. twice. Like there, are, people are taking half drugs outside the home office. Like there is something very dysfunctional about a lot of Western society which could kind of easily be fixed. I don't think like Russia is the answer, no. but it, you can, you know, going abroad, you do think well, a lot of these things, and another one for right-wingers would be Singapore, for example. But uh, there's a lot about Singapore which we wouldn't stomach. I mean, like, well, I wouldn't... speak like, for yourself. Right. Okay, I mean, I wouldn't want a death penalty for, uh, like, for drug dealers, for example, but, mm -hmm. um, but... The fact, you know, that our drugs problem is really completely out of control mm. and it's a real tragedy. Like, mm. it's, it's worse in the States, but in Northern Ireland and Scotland, drug deaths are hugely up and, and we just kind of like passively sit there. So you look at another country and say, actually, you can stop if you want. And there's mm. lots of things you can stop. You just, we just don't have the will. That's the thing, right? One in 28 deaths now in the US are due to overdoses. Right, okay. One in 28. I mean, it's that's... Like 4%. An, it's an unbelievable tragedy. And, and drugs is like... Drugs are like a terrible uh, scourge. And, and we... We in the West, uh, you know, uh, kind of passively allow that by allowing in the centre of our towns to see. See, I'm I've become much more um, hard line on this actually due to, I mean, you know, especially fentanyl because I I went to university in you know Western Pacific Northwest Canada, right. you know, and there's tons of drugs and you know you can buy like heroin from a store now in right. Vancouver, and you know. If I, if the fentanyl problem had existed when I was like 20, mm. let's say, like there's a pretty high chance I would not be sitting here with you now. Yeah. And so, you know, I, and I've brought up this quote before on the show when we talked to William Cluson, Lee Kuan Yew, founder of Singapore, where he said, like at Harvard, I think it was, it was like, he's like, if we could kill drug dealers a hundred times, we would because they destroy entire families. I mean, what is the other solution to that? I mean, it's obviously not safe injection sites. It's obviously not just letting people die in front of the home yeah, office. Yeah, I mean, I, do, I, don't, I don't know enough about drugs policy whether it, there is anywhere where that is... I mean, the, the debate has been about minimising harm mm. versus, I, I would say, punitive. I mean, I don't mind being punitive if it, it kind of stops the problem, but 
You, you just um, think hanging's a bit dis- disproportionate to the nature of the offence. I'm kind of anti-death penalty generally. Yeah. Mm. Um, we only have to do it a few times before people realise that you're serious. Yes, but I mean, <laughs> they, they, they hang the guy last year, like an Indian guy from importing like weed, and I thought, you know, I kind of like hate the smell of weed in my local park, but I'm not sure I want to like hang mm. them. But yeah, I mean, even on the lower level, just kind of the smell of marijuana everywhere is so depressing now. Mm. Um, which in Central Europe you don't get because they're, they're very strict about it. Um, but then that's me being my own kind of based Central Europe kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we were talking about young young Muslims before, by the way. I think I don't know if I sidetracked the conversation. Or, oh no, 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 no. Part of the whole function of the yeah, show yeah. is for us to be sidetracked mm. gleefully. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, what to pick up there? I mean, I wanted to say one thing. I, I do think that part of the reason why you do get, and I think it's a misfire, but the reason one of the reasons why you do get this sort of romanticization of say whatever it might be like Russia let's just go keep, stick with Russia on some corners of the right is because there's this underst- there's this suspicion and I think it's being reinforced more and more and more that our elites are just basically systematically lying to us about more or less everything like there's this and that there is just such a mismatch between like the, the liberal elites um, image of itself and right. the actual conditions on the ground in places like New York, in places like Portland, I think it's in places like worse. London. Say that again? I, I think people will accept yeah. being lied to by politicians as long as they're being lied to in clever ways. The problem is not that right. they're being lied it's to, the, it's that they're the, so the fucking blatant, bad at the blatant, it. Yeah. 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 And so ingenuous and incompetent. Yeah. Yeah. To, like, when, like, when you're, I think Carlson's point, and maybe it was an artfully made, but I think his whole point is, look, we have this image of ourselves as sort of like the apex of civilization. We're supposed to be, you know, fighting on behalf of liberty and all, yeah. all these sorts of things. That's why we're in Ukraine and we're supposed to be fighting fighting against this power, namely Russia, which is a gas station with nukes, like an authoritarian backwater. Why is it that their um, sort of civilizational infrastructure is better than ours? Like, why yeah. is that the case? Why is the leader of the free world the apex of the apex, literally a dementia patient? Yeah. Yeah. Well, That's as far as like, Putin is like an online, <laughs> like, uh, spurg who can tell you 45 minutes of Russian history. I'd, yeah. I'd still <laughs> rather be ruled by the dementia patient than than the homicidal history fan. To fair. Mm. Um, <laughs> the obsessive No, I, I mean... Fan. There is a mixture of, you know, like during the summer of 2020, when, you know, Tucker, Tuckerism was at its height, <laughs> like everything, everything that, you know, the journalists, journalists in the media just systematically lied about everything. Exactly. And the whole thing was a lie. And they were having massive protests over something that was a complete lie. Um, I, I mean, lie, I mean, the, the, the actual statistics on, on race yeah. um, and police fatalities and crime. And it was wildly um, out there. And they've been lying since Ferguson when, when you know, the, the media reporting... Um, of these cases really sort of blew up and it's just been completely lied the whole time. Um, I think, I think you know, generally Western media is obviously is more honest by far than, than in authoritarian countries. I just think once you get closer to sensitive issues, taboo issues, yeah. hmm. they become very dishonest. And you know, we see whenever um, the sort of the, the main kind of webs the main news sources especially the bbc report on on cases to do with you know sensitive issues there's just just very you'd have mm. no idea what they were actually talking about indeed um and they're you know kind of countless cases i mean this also came out more kind of obviously in the trans thing where even conservative papers report have a picture of what is clearly a man <laughs> and they say this woman is accused of masturbating or in public and it's like that's obviously a man like yeah hello if you're enjoying the new culture forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead.
for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.